0: It is beautiful out there, isn't it? If only it was about 20 to 25 degrees warmer, it would be even perfect. But it is good to see that life is going to be returning very, very soon again. So with that in mind, some of you may know that um, I like superhero movies. Um, I like the superhero movies, the series on Netflix. I'm sure Father Stephen knows nothing about it. Um, <laughs> even though i have fallen a little bit behind on my on my um, marvel movies uh, for the last couple of years and i think once school is ready, is finished i'm going to be rewarding myself with uh, some marvel movie marathon so <laughs> most of us most of us who like these these superhero movies uh, inevitably will have one uh, favorite superhero um maybe because that uh, we admire them and maybe we could, we identify a little bit with with the specific superhero so I have no idea why I like Iron Man so much. <laughs> now, I like superheroes because they represent a voice and an action that uh, that's that's something to correct something that is not right. They, in fact, fight for good. Now, more often than not, they use violence to fight violence, which is a good thing that they're only real in movies and on TV because, as we know, some. But named Jesus said that violence was not, was not good, was not the answer. So now I'd like to tell you a, a real story. As you may know, I, I was born and grew up in a tiny little Central American country of El Salvador. Now, life there was very, very precarious for most of the population. The standards for living were, and sadly they still are, uh, extremely, extremely low. And when I lived there, there was a civil war going on. The government was being manipulated by the rich and the powerful, and there was systemic oppression of social and economic injustice with a high, high, high degree of impunity. They were worshipping, as, as it were, the idols of power and wealth, which eventually caused the armed conflict that lasted over 12 years. Growing up, I witnessed things that no human being should ever see, things that sadly, Continue to happen in many parts of the world today. However, I also witnessed the beauty of life and the love of God in the lives of women and men who took a stand and made their preferential option for the poor. As a child, it seemed really bizarre, countercultural almost, that in the midst of so much violence and death, there were people who walked along the poor and were trying to make a difference speaking out against injustice, and walking along them, working with them, living with them. These people were church workers, lay people, nuns, priests, who dared to speak up the words of Jesus and the Gospels. One of those people was Archbishop Oscar Romero, who was the Archbishop of San Salvador from 1977 to 1980. Yes, I was around. Now, Romero became the voice of so many who did not have a voice. He spoke out against oppression as contrary to the love and the will of God and the law of God. He preached love for everyone, regardless of social class. He worked tirelessly for human rights and human dignity. Oscar Romero became a real-life hero. He even wore the outfit. Now, I remember my dad and I sitting at our dining table uh, on Sunday mornings, and we would turn the radio on, and we would listen to to Oscar's sermons every Sunday because the reason what we did on the radio was because it became dangerous to even go to church because all the rich and powerful uh, people in the country did not like a threat to their power and their wealth and all those things, so um, they don't like it and in their efforts to maintain their power and keep their wealth for themselves, they looked at those speaking against injustice as obstacles that needed to be eliminated. Does this sound familiar? Do you remember what Father Stephen spoke about last week? Seeing other people as obstacles, not wanting to share the country's resources so everyone would have enough to eat, was more important to them so they eliminated many social activists and many church workers. Oscar Romero himself was assassinated while celebrating the Eucharist at a hospital chapel on march twenty fourth nineteen eighty. Now, what does this all mean? What does this all mean for us? What does it have to do with us today and here and now? How many of us can say that we don't have idols anymore? Where do we stand? What do we do? Who do we support? What are the things that distract us from the grace and love of God, which is not just for ourselves? So it's not something that we keep for ourselves in our lives, but we're supposed to share it. What do we do that distract us from that? Well, let us look at what today's scriptures tell us. In our first uh, reading, we hear, we hear Paul warning about the idolatry of our ancestors. Paul says that these things occurred as examples for us so that we may not desire evil as they did, do not become idolaters as some of them did. He's Saying that our commitment to Christ alone must remain. Now, he's saying this because the community of Corinth uh, was blurring the lines quite, quite literally. They saw no conflict between participating in the Lord's table and also participating in pagan idolatry rituals as their civic duty. Now, let's remember that when this, at this time, the Roman Empire was running everything. And so they were very, very tolerate, um, tolerated a lot of, of religious freedom as long as everybody did their once a year uh, offering to the, uh, to the cult of the emperor. So the people in Corinth didn't see a problem. So, like, well, no, we're going to go to the table of the Lord, and but we're going to do our pagan sacrifices too. So, hey, no problem, we're going. Paul says no. Is, Paul is Paul is is making it clear that those who those two things going to the table of Christ and going to the pagan I- of idols tables of idols are two very different things, and those two things are indeed mutually exclusive. Somewhere else in the gospel, we hear Jesus says that we cannot serve two masters. We either serve God and participate in the table of life, which nourishes us with goodness, justice, and the prophetic life to speak out against injustice and work to promote the fullness of human dignity for all the children of God. Or we serve the idols of everyday life, the things that make us comfortable and make us lose sight of God's calling to work for justice in an unjust world. Can we here and now, in our own communities, in our own world, identify something that we do that may be a little bit sketchy, or not so in line with our Christian life and our Christian belief? Even if it may be something well like, well, you know, everybody else is doing it. Well, you know, it's not killing anybody, so... So how many times do we turn a blind eye on, on question, questionable practices and actions? Indeed, how many times do we turn a blind eye in the name of our civic duty when we see that there are certain laws that are contrary to the law of God? The main issue here is in this reading is that how we as Christians live our faith in the world, in our day, how do we live our faith in our culture? Can we live in the same way in today's world as we did before we involved Christ in our lives? If we are serious about our Christian faith and commitments, if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and if we believe that that resurrection has defeated the power of sin and death, and death has no longer have control or dominion on us, if we believe in the abundant life God offers us, then we cannot be oppressed any longer by the idols of our day, the idol of consumerism, of indifference, complacency, comfort, the idol of blaming others for the evils of the world rather than us taking the initiative in changing attitudes, in changing the culture of sinful greed and self-centeredness into a culture of equality and justice where nobody goes hungry or nobody is cold or nobody is lonely. God is always faithful even when we're not. And God gives us the power to resist the idolatries of our time. We see in today's gospel also that Jesus is is warning us about thinking the way our ancestors did. Those Galileans, he said, whom Pilate killed, were no more deserving than the others. That was something tragic that happened to them. The same thing with the 18 people who died when the Tyre of Siloam fell on them. They were not worse sinners than the rest of them. Just another tragic thing that happened. question is, how do we respond? Jesus is calling us to repent. To turn away from our evil ways. And that we must repent now. There's no time to waste. Jesus is saying, you know, these, some things can happen. And what do we do? It's not about to waste time because we, literally, we don't know when our life is going to be demanded of us. Our Christian life must be one that must bear fruit. Like the parable of the fig tree, bearing fruit doesn't happen by accident or it doesn't happen just because. The gardener tells the owner of the vineyard that to allow the tree to stay on for one more year. Now remember, the the, the tree had been there for three years already. And then the the, the owner of the vineyard goes, well, just wasting good soil, let's get rid of it. And so the gardener says, well, no. Let me till the land around it. Let me put some fertilizer on it. Give it one more year. And then if it bears fruit, that's good. And if it doesn't, well, we can cut it down. How... Merciful is our Heavenly Father when we don't produce fruit. We have the opportunity to go and allow God to till our soil and put a little bit of fertilizer so we can actually start producing fruit. I find it telling in this story because it only shows God's mercy. But God also calls us to be merciful, just like he is merciful. Jesus calls us to repent and accept God's mercy and allow God's love and grace to work in us. Allow God's grace to work in us because then more than we can ask or imagine can happen so that we can work for the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed, so that we can work for the kingdom of God that Jesus lived for. The same kingdom that Jesus died for and the same kingdom that he rose again for. Making sure that we don't fall means that we are standing in God's grace. The fullness fullness of life given to us in Jesus and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling us to not be like some of our ancestors in the Exodus story who were asking for their immediate needs. And not fully trusting that God was leading them towards something that was greater than each individual. That something that was greater than they ever had seen or known or even imagined. They were only thinking for themselves. Now, this can also apply to entire communities, not just individuals. And sadly, it maybe even especially can apply to some churches as well. We can fall into the idolatry of thinking that we we are right and others are wrong, that we are good, and others are not, that we have God's blessings, and others do not. Is this what it means to be standing? Where are we standing? Are we so safe and secure where we are that we don't see that the world out there and everything that it needs from us? Are we standing in a Western North American privilege that idolizes individualism, greed, comfort, in oppressing the poor and needy, what kind of people do we elect to public office, for example? those who support programs to feed the hungry, cure the sick, clothe the naked, or those who cut programs to the benefit of those who need, to the benefit, uh, that benefits those who need them? Do we support people who do not want to have a living wage, good health care, or good education? Do we vote for people who worship at the altar of balanced budgets? Incorporate tax cuts. Indeed, where do we stand? Or better yet, with whom do we stand? Who do we, who do we, as Christians, listen to? Do we remember our baptismal calling, or neglect our baptismal commitment? I think these are examples of strong idols in our present day. And we must resist those idols. Actually, we must fight against those idols. We are called to be a people of love and justice for all, knowing that our actions have consequences, not just for ourselves, but for everyone we encounter. We are blessed with the season of Lent, and Lent is a great reminder for us to prepare, like Jesus prepared in the desert, resisting temptation, fighting the very idols of material riches and worldly power being faithful to his mission, and finding the strength in his trust in God. Let us be like Jesus and prepare ourselves by resisting those idols and resisting evil so we can truly celebrate the death and the resurrection of Christ and what it means for us and for the world. Because of Jesus, we are a people of the resurrection. And Jesus himself calls us to bring the same resurrection to the world, to everyone. God is faithful and we must remember that. Along with our Lenten disciplines, let us come to the table of the Lord. In the Eucharist, we are nourished and we are given the strength as true food and true drink, freely loving, freely and lovingly broken and given to us. Now I find these words that I just spoken to you difficult and disturbing. They're not easy to speak, and I'm sure they're not easy to hear, but I think they're necessary. If we are to look more deeply into our Christian faith in our Christian calling, Jesus calls us to be the workers of the kingdom. And if we hear his voice calling us, We cannot be the same people we were before that calling. Like for my Salvadoran hero, Oscar Romero, the Christian commitment can sometimes be costly to the point of death. But in in, in Romero's own words, he said, Let us not tire of preaching love. It is the force that will overcome the world. Let us not tire of preaching love. Though we see that waves of violence succeed in drowning the fire of Christian love, love must win out. It is the only thing that can. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Oscar Romero was gunned down while celebrating the Eucharist exactly 39 years ago today. Just a few months before he was, um, just a few months ago, he was made a saint in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, However, and this is a point that makes me warm in my heart, in many provinces of the Anglican communion, especially in the Church of England, uh, Oscar has been commemorated as a saint for many, many, many years already. So shortly before his death, he, he wrote something that is uh, very relevant for Lent, and I think he may have been speaking about his own Lenten journey and practice. He said, I do not believe in death without resurrection if they kill me. I will rise again in the people of El Salvador. Building the kingdom of love and justice, turning away from idolatry and evil is what we all are called to do. Our baptism in the death and the resurrection of Christ demands no less. Let's keep walking in our baptismal faith towards the crucifixion and the sure knowledge and faith and the resurrection knowing that we stand in God's grace and in God's unending mercy. Amen.